I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and this is the detail. Today, the Pacific teams at the Rugby World Cup. At a formal function, the mayor of Iwaki City is hosting a dinner for Manu Samoa. Players leap onto the stage to join a traditional Samoan dance being performed by Japanese women. Samoa, Tonga and Fiji are in Japan, just three of 20 teams vying for the Webb Alice Trophy. The passion of their fans and their fervent support light up any tournament. And they go to great lengths to watch the game. Here's Christine Ravoy from RNZ Pacific. And for some Fijians, missing a World Cup game where Fiji's playing, it's a big deal. People can get so depressed. It spoils their whole day, they've missed it. And if Fiji won, they miss that moment, that victory, that celebration, that happy feeling. You know, there's not a lot of things that Fijians can be happy about, but when their national team wins, it's, it means a lot to them. And what happens when they do win a game? Oh, everyone goes crazy. I mean, people are calling for public holidays and and people don't go to work because they're celebrating and it's, people just don't care. But the whole country is in this euphoria of everyone's happy and yeah. people are on the streets tooting their horns and, and, and just driving around with, you know, singing and dancing in their homes. Everyone starts, the car was flowing. I mean, there's lots of... It's a great feeling. And not only people back in Fiji are doing it, Fijians around the world are doing it, here in New Zealand, in Australia. But the Pacifica influence reaches far beyond those three teams. Pick a country and there's probably somebody of Pacific Island descent in there. It's over 20% of players at the World Cup will be of Pacific Island descent. They're spread far and wide because they've had to leave home to make money. I suppose, put it in perspective, I think our whole weekly salary is the same as one player having a test match for England. If you're sort of wanting to go and have a better life or, or wanting to, to be better or help your family, none of the guys in Tonga are um, wanting to play for Tonga. At the tournament, brothers will play side by side. Some will play against each other. When Tonga play England in that first weekend, the family loyalties will really be divided. Vinnie Wiley is following the Pacific teams in Japan for RNZ. The Tonga rugby CEO, Fea Vonipola, former Tongan international, played at World Cups himself. His two sons, Marco and Billy Vonipola, that are in the England team uh, and have also played for the British Lions. So Tonga's going to play England, so there he is going to be watching his sons play against the team that he's sort of representing. So oh. he used to play in England professionally when he was a player, Fe'al, so hence you know his, his sons grew up a little bit over there and that's why they have made their lives over there and, and play for England. It just kind of weaves its way through all sorts of countries. First for the Pacific, Fiji face Australia on Saturday. It's not exactly easing your way in, is it? It's kind of bang right out of the gate, you know, a really, really big match. From Fiji's perspective, and that's the team that I guess in the Pacific most are viewed as most likely or capable of reaching the knockout rounds. They've done it a couple of times before. Um, they have to beat basically Australia or Wales if they want to make the quarterfinals, you know, assuming something unusual doesn't happen, to be one of those two teams. So they know that they have to beat a tier one team, a big team uh, to get through. And, you know, before everyone's kind of got into their groove a bit, that's going to be the best time to try and hit someone. Um, if they can get 
their tails up, get a couple of tries up, get them nervous, you know, you might cause an upset. And then if they can win the other games in their group that they're meant to win, like Georgia and Uruguay, then they're through. Whereas if they lose to Australia, it comes all down to that last game against Wales and there's a lot of pressure. But there was a lot of pressure before these Pacific teams even got there. Many of these boys are playing in Europe. And so um, we have to recall that. Uh, and getting a team together to play as a team is a major challenge for the small island countries. It all comes down to money, or lack of it. To get to Japan, they've had to hold fundraisers like a high school team in Australia, New Zealand and at home. Samoa played in Parramatta on the weekend and there was a big fundraiser and they you know, raised thousands of dollars, uh, which I was talking to one of the players after the game and you know, he was saying that that money goes towards things like extra baggage for them on the planes, things that would otherwise come out of their pockets, things like extra strapping tape or real basic things like that. I got told could I ring the player on WhatsApp as opposed to his phone because they're still using their own phones from back home. And that's what they're up against before they even start playing. For example, the Tongan players will be paid $500 a week while they're at the World Cup. The All Blacks will get 7500 a week. It's nothing new. The battle's been going on for years. Rich Tier 1 teams versus poorer Tier 2 teams. Here's how it'll look when Samoa plays Japan on Tuesday. They've got a really interesting group, Samoa. You know, Russia first up, Scotland, Japan and Ireland. A lot of teams that are really even, you know. You, you would sort of expect Samoa to beat Japan, but Japan actually have uh, had the wood on them in recent times and they've had some really good results lately and obviously they're at home and... Uh, you know, they beat South Africa, of course, at the last World Cup, and they've got a huge amount of resources and uh, quite a few Pacific Island players, actually. So, Is that um, right? Yeah, quite a few Japanese players with Tongan-sounding names living in Japan, playing their club rugby there, and, and now eligible for the national team. That's what I don't understand, Vinny. How, how can that be? Eligibility or the uh, residency rules up until recently were three years. So um, take, for example, Bundy Aki, used to play uh, for the Chiefs uh, here in New Zealand, and uh, now he's an Irish international. He left New Zealand, uh, got a contract with an Irish club side, and after three years' residency was eligible to play for Ireland because he had not played for a national team in New Zealand that captured his eligibility. Sebu Reese, who's the all-black winger, he's obviously born and raised in Fiji, came to New Zealand for schooling uh, during secondary school, but after three years living here, he's eligible for the All Blacks. Now, World Rugby have tightened down a little bit. It's now going to be five years, so it makes it a little bit more difficult, and... It's especially Fijians are often quite susceptible to this. You know, you get talented 16-, 17-year-olds, French clubs, uh, their academies. Uh, they either set up an academy in the Pacific or they identify these players and they offer them contracts over in France um, when they're teenagers. And then, you know, if it works out, great. They end up playing for France, uh, you know, be it 7s or 15s. And if it doesn't work out, sometimes these players can be put through quite a bit of hardship and be isolated from, you know, family mm. support and that sort of thing. But... All it takes is that residency for a few years, and obviously if you've got a potentially lucrative contract, uh, you, you're probably going to take up that opportunity, very different to what you'd get at home. It's really difficult when you know your players play for five different franchises in New Zealand like they do, uh, so I can only imagine how difficult it would be if your players are playing all over the world and you, you know, you're bringing them back and you don't have much time to prepare them. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because for a lot of these players, there's nothing more that they want to do than to play for their country. No, the, the, I mean, the biggest challenge for Pacific Island rugby players that, that people in New Zealand, Australia or Europe don't have to think about or worry about is the fact that if they want to make a living from this sport, 
if they want to be as good as they can be at the sport, they have to go offshore. There's no logical option to play at home. Now, there's a team called the Fijian and Drua that play in Australia's NPC. They actually won the competition last year, but even that's semi-professional. It's a huge step forward. Um, obviously, a Pacific Island Super Rugby team has been touted for a number of years and um, hasn't happened and doesn't look like it's going to happen. That would be another option. And the money's always going to be more in Europe or France or, or what have you. These players have to go offshore, so that often takes them away from their family. And, and what are we talking about financially? What is the difference between staying at home or accepting that lucrative contract overseas? Well, I mean, for, for a Pacific Island player, obviously playing in Samoa, playing in Fiji, it's not much at all. I think the the top contract for a Fijian Sevens player, I think, is twenty, thirty thousand dollars but clearly compared to hundreds of thousands of euros or pounds or what have you, depending on the individual, it pales in comparison. And France is where the really big money is, um, and, and so that's generally where most of the players would, would tend to end up. And if they're not captured by their country like Fiji, if they're not already had played for Fiji at some level before that, they often uh, end up you know, holding off on that and, and choosing to play for France or something because it means they can earn more money if they're eligible for the, you know, a different team or... The other, mm. option of, the other option, of course, is just playing for your club side and putting that first because that's where your money to feed your family and, uh, is coming from and, and not playing for your country even if you wanted to. I mean, we can only um, ask players if they put their hand up and make themselves available and if they do, then you know, that's great. Um, if they don't, um, then we move on. You know, that's the first question I ask. You know, do you want to play for the jersey? And if they're 50-50, then you know, I want the guy that's 100% you know, committed and, and wanting to play. Samoa coach Steve Jackson. Quite a few players that we, we asked the question to come and play, but that's in the past now. Um, you know, we've been together for a few weeks now and we're looking forward to the Rugby World Cup. A lot of these players are choosing to stay with their French club because there's a risk that they could either lose their contract or they won't be signed up at all, and that's a huge financial loss to them. For some of them, not, not every player earns hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. You know, Some of them earn a good wage, but it's not a wage that means you're retired at 30. Um, so, yeah, they have to think about their families, think about themselves and, the, and their security, because a lot of these players obviously you know, send money back to their families as well. It's not just for them to spend, So, but, but, but it's not new. You know, It's not just French clubs, it's English clubs, it's... It's all sorts of clubs. The offer's pretty simple. A club might say to you, you know, this is your contract. It's $150,000, whatever it may be. But if you don't go to the World Cup, we'll give you $200,000. No, so that's not actually saying that you can't go to the World Cup, but it's, you know, putting a barrier or an alternative in place. And uh, if anyone's employer said, you know, here's more money if you, if you do this or don't do that, then a lot of people would find that pretty hard to, to say no to. So um, they're either being given an option like that or... They are being told that, well, you can go to the World Cup, but... Don't um, come back. Well, you can come back, but when your contract's up for new renewal, you might not get one. just doesn't seem right, and I know that New Zealand rugby, even the new chief executive, has spoken about it. The reality is there's been good people working on these problems for you know some time. There's certainly you know issues sitting there around eligibility, the Pacific Islands' access to talent and the competitions are involved in. But certainly the Rugby World Cup brings it to a, to a head in terms of all those nations and all the people meeting around uh, meetings at that time will be discussing these sorts of things. So hopefully immediately off the back of World Cup we get some traction. Even Steve Hansen is saying it's not fair. We don't uh, have an organisation at the top that wants to be strong enough to say, right, oh, well, this is what we're doing. We're going to have a global season. The Six Nations rule world test rugby programs. They don't want to give that up. 
and until they're prepared to give that up, then we're not going to see any progress in that area. By law, these clubs have to release players for international competition in the windows, such as a World Cup. So the club cannot legally hold them back. But, but, but as we sort of indicated before, they can you know, be crafty about it. You can't point-blank prove that they denied the player the chance to go play for their country. So that's the, the, the tricky field we live in. I mean, you know, NZ Rugby, like I say, there's a lot of players in New Zealand. And in, in Super Rugby, there's players that are dual-eligible, but, but they keep themselves eligible for the All Blacks or countries like that because they obviously harbour that dream probably, but also because as soon as they make themselves available for Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, whoever it may be, each Super Rugby team in New Zealand has got, I think, three places available for people that aren't eligible for the All Blacks. One of those is designated for the Pacific, um, but that basically means that if you're eligible for the All Blacks, you're going for one of 35-ish contracts in a Super Rugby team, up to 40 contracts. But as soon as you're eligible for a different country and not eligible to play for New Zealand, each country's only got you know three slots, so suddenly you're only going for one of 15 contracts. So you better hope that you're a hell of a lot better you know, you've got to be one of the best 15 players versus one of the best sort of 150, 200. So it cuts down your options, and, and mm. that's, why, that's why a lot of Pacific Island internationals play offshore because there's more opportunity. So going into the Rugby World Cup, what's the difference between, say, the Samoa rugby team and how much money they've got to spend on their campaign versus one of the big ones like, you know, England, say? The mere fact that the Samoa Rugby Union are doing fundraising drives, you know, in World Cups past, it was sausage sizzles, etc. It was radiothons. Um, the American Samoa government gave money towards the Manu Samoa Rugby Team, even though American Samoa have their own national rugby team, which obviously aren't at the World Cup. But there was a bit of controversy there. But so they're taking money from American Samoa. Um, the, the Samoa government obviously contributes. They had a fundraiser in New Zealand when they were in Auckland. They had the fundraiser I mentioned earlier uh, in Australia to help the players. Uh, and that's all just to try and bridge that gap. So, so World Rugby provides certain things like the flights, the accommodation, per diems, but uh, for the players, the salary they can get from the rugby union is you know, maybe a, a thousand, a couple of thousand a week, which is not a lot of money. It can often be less than what they get for their club sides, and some of those club sides won't pay the money to the players if they're not with the team. So players are often losing money when they choose to play for their countries. bitterness amongst these three Pacific teams as they go into the Rugby World Cup because of this? People want things to change and, and there are some ex-players that are more willing to speak out and can speak freely and the likes of uh, Dan Leo, the former Samoa captain and Locke, uh, with Pacific Rugby players wealthy. The systems in place are actually uh, conducive of keeping teams like the Pacific Islands poor but if you go to a country like France where I do a lot of work, a huge amount of their talent base, which is propping up the French professional rugby, is Pacific Island sourced. But no, generally speaking, the players themselves, it is what it is. Motu Matu'u, the Samoan hooker, the other day said, you know, we're a pretty happy bunch. These things aren't ideal, but, you know, we just kind of roll with the punches. They, they want these things to change, and there is, we mentioned the scheduling, you know, there's much better scheduling for this World Cup. You know, it's much more even. There's, I think the All Blacks have maybe a four-day turnaround between uh, two of their games, but it's quite an easy game. Whereas the Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, the Tier 2 countries like that, um, they're not playing a game three days after the next one. It's, it's more like five or six. It's still a little bit skewed towards the top teams because they play generally on the weekends where the, the prime viewing slots are, but um, it's it's better. You know, it's Maybe it's not fast enough or better enough or not happening fast enough, and I think that's what Brent Impey was saying mm. that you're referring to, is that, yes, there's progress, but it's not fast enough. It's We need to do more.
the gap hasn't got any closer in 25, 30 years between the Tier 2s, such as Tonga, and the Tier 1s. In fact, I think the gap's got wider. Brent Impey is the chair of New Zealand Rugby. We either do something about it, or in 2048 the Rugby World Cup will be played between the, the same six, seven nations as it's always been. From the playing perspective, they want to represent their country. They've chosen to, to go to this World Cup, and whilst it's not perfect, um, they, you know, they'd rather be there than not. In the end, you've got to be able to get sufficient votes to change the rules. That can be done more so these days because rugby has, has spread out. But to think that it's easy to knock off the, um, the home unions who are far more traditional in their views than we are um, is, um, is not uh, straightforward. Can you get the numbers? I think we can. Are there brothers in these teams that were cousins? There must be some family connections. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few sort of connections. I mean, uh, in the Samoan team, you've got uh, James and Jordan Lay, both props that used to play provincial rugby in New Zealand. They both now play up in England at Bristol, uh, which has a number of Pacific Island players. So they're both in the squad. Tusi PC, 37 years old, Samoan first five, third World Cup. Um, he's the only PC brother in the squad this time round, but previously is. Uh, younger brothers uh, George and Ken have also played for their country. Um, Tongan Locke, Lever Fafita, he's the brother of Via Fafita, who played for the All Blacks this year but missed out on the World Cup squad. Alan Alalatoa, he's one of the starting props for the Wallabies. His dad played for Samoa at the 91 World Cup, where they obviously beat Wales and stunned the world. Uh, and, and his brother Michael Alalatoa plays for the Crusaders and made his debut for Samoa against Australia hope I'm not confusing people. <laughs> uh, last weekend, uh, Alan didn't play in the game, so they didn't get to sort of lock horns in the front row, but um, they'll both be at the World Cup for Samoa and Australia, respectively. One chair for Tonga, hip hip. Hey. One chair for Fiji, hip hip. Hey. One chair for Matthew, hip hip. Hey. Really love to see one of these teams make the quarterfinals. I think they've got the ability. Uh, Tonga obviously were pretty disappointing on the weekend. Some of the basic skills there. Um, they've got a really strong forward pack, but just not a lot of pace. Fiji, this is a team with some genuine world-class players. Leonie Nakarawa, uh, the lock, is named in the tournament team four years ago. Uh, Simi Randrandra, the centre, people will know, used to play in the NRL for, for the Parramatta Eels. He's on a big contract over in France. Um, he's a very good player. You know, There's a lot of excellent players in this team, that, and they genuinely believe they can make it through. And Can they win one of those games? Absolutely. As you say, everyone talks about Brent Mbee, talks about New Zealand, talks about the players, talks about the ex-players, world rugby. Everyone talks about the potential and, and what they'd love to see happen, but sometimes you kind of need that impetus. You know, Argentina came third at a, at a World Cup and at a time they weren't in the rugby championship down under here. And it's like, well, how can you have the third best team in the world not involved in a major competition? But they need something to really put people's feet to the fire and say, well, this is, this is unacceptable. If you've got a team making the quarterfinals and you've got a team with very good players in it that are in World 15s, etc., have to get forced into it and there have been you know developments there's this you know rapid rugby started by the uh, mining magnet in Australia Andrew Forrest with the Western Force there's going to be Samoan and Fijian teams involved in that going forward which might be professional you've got this Fijian and Drua so you've got slow steps but there's still so many to go
That's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Veal and produced by Alexia Russell. Kathaki Masalamani is our associate producer. And Vanui Nui Vanaka to the Pacific teams. Oh.